The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. This is the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 48. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give you, give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, Crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people, and he shall also become great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope 
that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, good morning. That was kind of weak. Good morning. Okay, great. We're awake. Well, my name's Sam. Uh, I'm a pastoral intern here at Sacred City Church. Um, if you're visiting today, I want to I say welcome. We're thrilled that you're here with us. Um, we, I want to do some housekeeping things before I get started. Um, first of all, if you're looking to get uh, more involved or more connected at Sacred City, we have an online platform called The City. Um, we put up all our announcements, all of our news, all of our events, any topics that are going on. We, we like to keep that online so I don't have to do so many announcements and Justin doesn't have to do so many announcements. So, but um, if you want to get involved, go ahead and sign up for the city. There's a kiosk in the back um, where you can get signed up. If you're looking to get more involved in a missional community, there's more information online um, for that too. And a missional community is, is what we kind of we call our groups that meet throughout the, the week um, Throughout the cities, uh, we get together, we share a meal, we spend some time in prayer, um, we study God's word, and we help each other grow as disciples. So um, if, you're, if that's something you're interested in, you feel God's spirit moving you into that, please go look on the city for a time that, that would work for your schedule and get involved in a, a missional community. And the, the, the second thing is... Uh, Quick reminder that, that we've got a, our monthly prayer meeting that meets this Tuesday, um, 7 p.m. at the Sacred City offices, which are located in the center, which is at 1411 Brady. So we'll get together. We're going to pray for our city, pray for our church, um, pray that God would use this church for the good of the city. So uh, if, if you're free, come down Tuesday night, 7 p.m., um, and join us for some prayer. That's it for my little announcements. But um, at Sacred City, uh, we like to keep things relatively simple. We don't do a lot of flashy things. We don't go over the top with with production. Um, And as you've noticed, from our liturgy and from our hymns, we love to root ourselves in Scripture. And that's how we, we preach, too. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. So that's where we're going to be at today. We're going to be right in, in, our, in our text. So uh, get your Bibles handy. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles right back there. Um, Go ahead and grab one. Otherwise, on your smartphones, your tablets, um, there are, uh, there's a Sacred City app you can download as well as other Bible apps. So um, go ahead and get those ready. I'm going to pray. Would you pray for me while I pray for you? Gracious Father, we thank you that you have gathered us. Thank you that you, you have brought us to this place. Um, and as we're here, Lord, we, we want to make much of you. We want to lift your name up high. God, may, may our, our songs, may, may the, the readings of Scripture, may, may, may the preaching of God's Word be glorifying to you this morning. I pray for uh, the listeners of the Word, Father God, that your Spirit would be at work moving um, in these hearts, that you'd be softening people's hearts to hear this good news of, of Christ's love for us. I pray, God, that, um, that you would give me... Uh, your spirit to speak through me, that it would not be my words, not my, not my thoughts, but it would be thoughts and words from the spirit rooted in your scripture. Father God, we ask that you would be with us and moving among us in this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's an old proverb that all good things must come to an end. And in more ways than one this week, we're starting to see this, this happen. First of all, we're As we are drawing near to the end of the book of Genesis, we've only got uh, two weeks left after this week, Um, we're starting to see things wrap up. 
Um, and for me, this has been an incredible, incredibly beneficial year. We've, we've been in Genesis, Genesis for almost a year now. Um, incredibly beneficial year of us sitting in this text. And I've learned things that I, I had never known existed in Scripture. Um, and, and as we've seen from, from chapters 1 through 3, where, where God creates things good and, and he gives man responsibilities to look, look after the garden, be fruitful and multiply. Shortly after that, Adam and Eve, they sin. They disobey God and eat of the tree that God told them not to eat of. And it didn't take long after that for people to start murdering one another. It didn't take long after that for people to start swindling and cheating one another. It didn't take long after that for people to start being sexually immoral, engaging in prostitution, homosexuality, and rape. Man went on this steep decline very quickly after the fall. But in the midst of the decline of humanity, we have learned a lot about God's graciousness and faithfulness to undeserving people. And we've seen his plan unfolding throughout this, this book of Genesis on how he's planning to redeem people back to himself. So as we, we wrap up Genesis, we're starting to see, see this come to an end. Um, but secondly, we're also drawing to the end of Jacob's story here. Today we see him on his deathbed saying his last goodbyes. We, we're getting to see his life come to an end over this chapter and the next and as, as this topic of death is lingering among us, this should, this should hit home for us because we know, and we may not want to think about it, but we know that the deathbed awaits us all. We're all going to die at some point. And forgive me for being morbid, but, but it's a truth that we cannot refuse to, to ignore. There will come a day when our life on this earth will expire. And as you lay there with your family around you, what will you want to leave them with? Jacob, as he's on his deathbed, gives us a great picture of what going out with dignity and grace looks like. In today's passage, we see Jacob, in a great act of faith, bless his grandsons. He lets them know that they are accepted into his family and that they have a great purpose. And the reality is that we all have this deep-rooted desire to be accepted and for our lives to have some, some sort of purpose. We want to know that we're cared for and that we're loved. We want to know that what we do has meaning. We don't want to be nobodies. We don't want to be insignificant. We don't want the things we do to amount to nothing. And, and we go to great lengths to know that we are accepted and that we have purpose. We buy the right car. We wear the right clothes, we listen to the right music, we go to the right school. We do all kinds of things to find some sort of acceptance. And when we can't find acceptance in one place, we bounce to the next. I tried in high school, I was about um, six inches shorter than I am now, and probably if you just smushed me down, I was kind of a roly-poly guy. Um, and, And when I was in high school, I tried the athletics thing. I tried to play football. I was kind of a little punk, a little pipsqueak, and it didn't work out. So I, I moved to the next thing to find my acceptance. And, and maybe, maybe we're fortunate enough to find some sort of, of acceptance, but it doesn't take long before we realize that, that that acceptance doesn't really last long enough. It doesn't satisfy us. 
And like I said, we want to know deep down, deep down in the depths of our soul, that we mean something to someone and that what we do matters. And today's passage is going to point us where to look for our acceptance as well as our purpose. So let's jump right in. Verse 1 of Genesis 48. After this, okay, after this, so uh, a famine has come throughout the world. I don't have time to to recap the whole book of Genesis, but I'll tell you what's kind of been going on here in in the recent. A A famine has come throughout the world. Everyone is suffering from not having enough food. And in this famine, God sovereignly has brought Israel, Jacob's family, into Egypt. And, and they've been there for 17 years. Now, Jacob is getting old. We, we spent a lot of time talking about him, uh, I don't know, probably eight chapters ago. Um, a, lot of, a lot of Jacob's life is recapped. And so we kind of remember a little bit about Jacob's life. He was um, son of, of Isaac. He... Um, he worked really hard to get his wives. He spent 14 years trying to get his favorite wife. Um, did all kinds of crazy stuff. He wrestled with Jesus at one point. That was pretty cool. Um, but Jacob's getting old here. He's 147 years old. And in the previous chapter, we saw him talking to Joseph, his son Joseph. And they were making uh, burial arrangements. And so you know when you start having conversations like that, things are kind of coming to an end. And so Joseph had promised him, Promised his dad, Jacob, that he would bury him in the land of his fathers. All right, read on. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, so Jacob just got a phone call. Hey, hey, Joseph, your dad's not doing so hot. It's not looking so good. And so, like any good son, Joseph goes... To see his father. And he takes his boys with him. Now Joseph. Just to kind of give you an idea of the picture. Joseph is about 60 years old here. And he's been ruling Egypt. As the second, second man in command. Um, for quite some time. And he's been doing a really good job at it. And he's, he's the one. Who's actually responsible. His actions are, are the ones that have landed him. In this. Landed his family in Egypt. And, and in Egypt his family is prospering. Um, and, and so also the boys that he's taken with him, they're, they aren't like, you know, little tykes. It's not like he's carrying them. These are young men. They're about in their 20s. So um, hopefully that will kind of give you a picture of this. And so they, they come in and they see this, this deathbed setting. They see Joseph. This is going to get really confusing. I'm going to switch these names around. So be patient with me. Jacob. Jacob is on his deathbed. And he's only got a little bit of time left to live. They don't know how, long, how much longer. It could be days, could be hours, could be minutes. And this is a difficult time. It's never easy to see someone you love pass away. Jacob's health is failing him. He's gone blind. He's, he doesn't have much energy. He doesn't have much strength. And so in this deathbed setting, in this, in this scene, it's a time of looking back and remembering the good times And remembering the hard times. And so we see in verse 7 how Jacob is laying there and he's he's remembering the time he had to bury his wife, Rachel. Now this is the woman that he worked 14 years to get to marry. He loved this woman. 
She was, she was his favorite. I mean, he had four wives, so, I mean, he's kind of a baller. But he, she was his favorite wife, and he's got sweet, sweet memories of her. And then we also see in verse 11 how he's, he's reflecting on one of the best times of his life. His favorite wife, Rachel, had given him a son, Joseph, the son who's, who we see interacting with him here. And Joseph... Um, he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and, and, and his brothers had convinced his dad that he was dead. So Jacob thought he would never get to see his son Joseph again. But he recalls one of the, his favorite times, that time that, Joseph, the time I saw you, I didn't think I'd ever see you again. I got to see you. I got to hug you. I couldn't believe it. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. And then he says, not only that, Not only did I get to see my son that I thought I had lost, but now I've got grandsons. So he's remembering the sweetness of the moment. He gets to meet his, see his favorite son again. He gets to meet his, his grandsons. And so in this scene, in this deathbed setting, emotions are high and they're heavy. I remember when my grandpa Ozzy passed away. I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I love my grandpa. I thought he was, I thought he was really cool. I thought he was awesome. Um, he was a pretty big guy. I, I think that's kind of where I got my roly poliness from. Um, but he was a pretty, pretty big guy, mostly because my grandma was a great cook. And, um, he, he always wore a low cut V, white V. His old man chest hair sticking out, you know, like, and he's always got his, uh, his, his seed company hats on. He was, a, he was a farmer, so he's got a plethora of these um, seed company hats. So he'd always wear his white tee and his, these seed hats. Um, and, and he was a pretty funny guy. Like, I've got a lot of really great memories of my grandpa, Ozzy. Um, one of the things that I remember the most is um, he did this really, uh, it's not really going to make sense to you, but he did this thing. He did this thing where uh, he'd like sit back, he'd lounge back in his chair, and he, maybe he'd yawn or stretch, and he'd go, ah, ah, say. <laughs> he just leaned back, ah, ah, say. Like, what, what does that mean? So we've kind of got a joke in the Schmidt family. You know, you, you lean back in your chair, and, and you remember Grandpa Ozzy by letting one of those things rip, you know. So, um, and another funny thing that I remember my grandpa is um, he he had dentures. And um, I don't know if it was the taste of the, the denture paste or if it was just like a thing for him. But he didn't he didn't believe in denture paste. And so as after he would lean back in his chair and do his ah, ha, ha, say thing, he would shortly after fall asleep. And in falling asleep, mouth would be open. Dentures drop down, drop into his lap, drop into his pocket. Sometimes they end up behind his chair. But one of the things he, he would always do was, uh, if we were over, he'd, he'd, you know, joke with us and say that we stole his dentures and hit him from him. But, so it, it kind of funny like that. Um, but my grandpa was really special to me, and, and he did um, a lot of things to make me feel special. Um, one of the things he did, he would, he would drag me along with him to go, um, go hang down at the shop and play cards with his buddies. I get to sit, you know, and look over his shoulder and he hoped that I wouldn't tell other people what he had in his hand. Um, or he'd take me down to the co-op so I could go, um, get coffee with he and his buddies. So he liked to include me in things and he made me feel special and he was very special to me. Um, and, and watching him pass away 
was difficult because this was the first time that I had ever lost someone who was close to me. And so I vividly remember um, being in the hospital room. I vividly remember being uh, alongside his hospital bed. And as we sat there and, and we thought about all the good times and all the, all the hard times, um, it was a moment of just true reflection. You know, having the family all gathered around, my cousin and my aunt, they flew in all the way from Wyoming to be there to say their last goodbyes. And, and as we, we reminisced over these times, we, we laughed cried, we told stories, and just really remembered my grandpa for who he was. And so um, that night we left the hospital and we said our goodbyes, not knowing if we'd get to, to say hello to him again or get to say goodbye to him again. Um, he was, his health was declining rapidly. And, and we said goodbye, remembering those times, remembering those good times, remembering those hard times. And we said goodbye with tears rolling down our face and and a tremble in our voice. Now, I know I'm not the only one that's lost someone close to us. I know that we've, we've, the majority of us have probably experienced this deathbed setting. And we kind of remember the emotions that come with it. We remember the heaviness of our hearts. Remember that the emotions are high and heavy. And so I want you to remember that time and kind of um, see yourself in the story here as Joseph is saying his farewells to his boys. Okay, so verse 2. As Joseph and the boys come in verse 2, it says that Jacob summoned up his strength and he sat up in bed. Jacob took whatever strength he had left. Remember, he's, he's dying here. He doesn't have much energy, doesn't have much strength. He sat up in his bed. And so what, you, what he's about to say, you know it's important. So important he had to sit up for it. So um, Hebrews 11.21, I'm going to jump there real quick. You don't need to, but um, let me. Some, Hebrews 11 tells us something about this moment. There's something really important about this moment. Listen here. It says, uh, th- let me give you a preface. In Hebrews 11 here, this is the hall of faith. This is uh, the author of Hebrews is rec- recalling all the men and women who have who've done noble acts of faith and, and who God has used mightily. And so Jacob makes the cut, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's cool to be in the hall of faith. Um, but, but look at what he's noted for here. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship. Over the head of his staff. So this moment right here. That, and that's all that it says about him. In the hall of faith. This moment right here. Is, is an important moment. So we need to pay attention to what's about to happen. Now let's take a look at verse 3 of, of chapter 48 in Genesis. And Jacob said to Joseph. God Almighty appeared to me at, at Luz. And in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And said to me. Behold I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Jacob knows he doesn't have much time left. There's no chitter chatter. There's no small talk. There's no, hey, how's the weather out there? There's no, how you doing? Because Jacob's like, well, I'm on my deathbed right now. Not doing so well. He sits up in his bed and he starts preaching. He starts telling his son and his grandsons his story about how God has saved him and how God has gave him faith. 
And he's sitting there still telling a story. The story's not about him. It's about what God has done for him. Jacob knows that this time that he's had on this earth, that the story that he's created, it's not about him. It's about what God has done and what God is doing. And, and some of us, I think all of us, need to take a lesson from this. We need to learn from this, that, that we get so wrapped up in our busy life, we get so wrapped up doing things that we think is important, that, we, that we, you know, we've got people to see, things to do, mountains to climb, that we, we get so focused on ourselves that we miss what things are really about. So I hate to step on your toes, but your story isn't about you. Your life the things that you've experienced, the things you've done, it's not about you. You are just a blip on the continuum of time. Your story, it's not adequate in and of itself. But your story within the frame of what God has done through Christ and what God is doing is something to share. That's something important. Second Corinthians says that if you're going to boast, if you're going to talk about yourself, no, second Corinthians says, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. So if you're going to talk about yourself, talk about what God has done for you. Talk about what God has done in your life. Talk about the faith that God has given you. And so we see here that Jacob in his last moments, he's retelling his story. It's not about, he says, it's not about me. It's about what God has done. Jacob is being fruitful and faithful to the finish. And this, this is huge. This is what we should aspire to be like, to be faithful and fruitful to the finish. Jacob, he's on his deathbed. He's preaching and he's making disciples on his deathbed. He's being faithful and fruitful to the finish. Now, some of you, may be able to relate with Jacob here. Kind of you're entering in the later stage of his life. I hope nobody here is on their deathbed. Uh, there's no beds in here. Nobody's on their deathbed, but, but some of you may feel as if the time is drawing near. And you, you're, you're entering into retirement. Your grandparents now, maybe your great-grandparents. Your body may feel like your body's wearing out on you. And so you feel like you're entering into these later stages of life. And I want to encourage you. That in these stages of life, to be faithful and fruitful to the, fit, to the finish. I want to encourage you to stay faithful to God. And I want to encourage you to be fruitful in making disciples. And, and honestly, it can be as simple as telling your story. As sharing what God has done with you to other people. Wherever God has put you, I want to encourage you to finish well. By being faithful to the gospel and fruitful through the gospel. All right. Now things here, we'll jump back into the text. Things are going to start to get a little funky. Um, Maybe most of us have experienced uh, this deathbed setting. We've we've seen someone pass away that we love. We've seen them uh, in their final moments. But I'm willing to bet that none of us have experienced an adoption take place on a deathbed. Anybody? Anybody experienced adoption on the deathbed? No. So this is kind of weird. Um, so 
what Jacob says, he pulls Joseph and he says to him, hey, hey, Joseph, I'm, I'm going to adopt Manasseh and Ephraim. And it's going to be as if they're my boys. Like, what do you say to that? Like, uh, well, Joseph, Joseph goes, well, okay. <laughs> okay. You're all right. So, that, so that's what he does. Like he's, I'm going to adopt your boys. And Joseph rolls along with it. But who does that? Like who in their final moments, like, you know what? I got, I've always wanted to adopt, uh, never had a chance to, I got 15 minutes left. Let's just, let's just cross it off the bucket list. Like nobody does that. Um, (laughs) so Jacob, Jacob did this, but he's not doing it to cross it off his bucket list. Jacob is doing this in faith. Uh, in faith, he adopts and blesses these boys. So let's, let's take a look at this adoption a little bit here. Um, as, as Jacob adopts these boys, as if they are his own, he doesn't just say to them, Hey, Hey kids, you're mine now. He, he adopts them and he makes them feel as if they are his sons. Look at verse 10 here. He calls them over. He has them sit on his lap. He gives them a big hug and a big kiss. And he assures them that you are my boys. I love you. You're mine and you're accepted. That's what he does. He treats them as if they are his sons. Now, these boys are truly accepted as his sons. And and we know this because each of these boys will become a tribe of Israel. Now, for those of you who are history nerds, this might be cool. Others of you who who aren't so interested in this part, you can check out for a minute. But but this is kind of confusing here. We think, if we remember back, Jacob already has 12 boys. 12 boys. And, And of these 12 boys, we'll see 12 tribes emerge from them. Okay, so, and if we're thinking, well, Jacob's already got 12 boys. He just adopted two more. There should be 14 Why aren't there 14 tribes? Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why there's not 14 tribes. What's going on here is that Joseph, his son, Jacob's son, Joseph is receiving a double honor rather than Joseph receiving his own tribe in his own name. If you look through the Bible, there's no tribe of Joseph rather than Joseph receiving his own tribe. Joseph is given two tribes through his sons. He's getting a double honor. Okay, and so if we we take Joseph out, we plug one of the boys in, we're still left with 13. How do we justify the last one? Okay, so now think of this. Later on in the Bible, um, Levi, Jacob's son Levi, will come to to be known as the, um, I forget, the Levites, but the priests. They're the priests. So Levi is going to be spread. His people are going to be spread all throughout the 12 nations of Israel. So he doesn't have his own tribe. So Jacob, uh, Joseph and Levi are taken out of the tribes and Joseph's sons are placed into the tribe. So there you go. 12 tribes of Israel. I justified it for you. Um, okay. So now, not only are these boys, these Jacob's grandsons or sons, or I don't even know what to call them. Not only are these boys loved and accepted and considered sons, but they're also given the status of the firstborn over their uncles. Let me say that again. These boys are given the status of firstborn over their uncles. Man, imagine that family Christmas. Like... That's awkward. 
Like, what do you, what do you, like, you talking to your uncle, like, hey, uncle brother. What? <laughs> That's kind of weird. But let me tell you what, this, this firstborn status, this is a coveted position. Jacob himself, Jacob, the guy on the deathbed, he himself fought and deceived his way into becoming the status of a firstborn. And now this guy who, who deceived and tricked his way into this, this firstborn status is now freely offering the status of firstborn to these boys he just adopted. And, and if you look, like chapter 49 is, is all Jacob giving blessings to his kids. But it's interesting that these boys that Jacob had just adopted, they received their, their blessing in chapter 48. Not 49. These boys are getting treated as if they are firstborns. And so um, Ephraim and Manasseh, they receive high honors as they're drafted into Jacob's family. So we just see Joseph's sons get adopted into Jacob's family. And you're probably wondering why. Like, why did this happen? Like, this seems kind of silly. You you may be thinking, uh, Joseph... He was, a, he was a man of God. Like, he was a good Christian daddy. I'm sure he led his boys in devotionals. He, he taught them, you know, how to live like a good young man. Like, why did these boys need to be adopted? Well, let me tell you why. The boys were adopted into Jacob's family so they could carry on the blessing that was given to their great-great-grandpa Abraham, which was passed down to their great-grandpa Isaac, and then passed down to their grandpa daddy, Jacob. <laughs> These boys got brought into the family so they could carry on this blessing. And this is radical. Like, let, let, let me show you why this is radical. God is calling these boys out of... Uh, out of worldly inheritance. Let me remind you, these boys are, are sons of, of the man who is second most powerful in the world. Like these boys are living as Egyptians. They've got everything they need right at their fingertips. And God is calling them out of a world, uh, out of their world of, of worldly possessions and worldly inheritance into uh, uh, an eternal inheritance that in the end will make Egypt's riches look like chump change. God is calling them out of everything that they know. They leave behind their financial security. But, but think about this. A few chapters ago, uh, maybe uh, let me help you remember that, that Egyptians, they were not fond of shepherds. It says Egyptians despise shepherds. And so as these boys are adopted as sons into Jacob's family, they are now identifying themselves as shepherds. And so being identified as shepherds, these boys are now despised by the Egyptians. They're giving everything they knew up. They forfeited everything that seemed comfortable for God's promise to make them a multitude of nations and to give them a land to call their home for eternity. All right, let's, let's jump back into the text here. I'm at verse 13. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward, towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. 
So these boys are adopted, and now they're going to get a blessing. Listen, listen to what Mark Driscoll says to help us um, understand what's going on here. He says, in this culture, the firstborn is instilled as the leader of the next generation. As we have seen previously in Genesis, God sometimes chooses the son that was not the firstborn because God works through election and new birth, not through succession and birth. And so God will pick people that weren't chosen by the family or the culture. God, listen to that. God chooses people not by, not by succession or, or birth, but he chooses people through election and new birth. God does it differently than the culture. Okay, so, and we are about to see this happen again, or, or, we, or we've seen that, that Jacob's about to do this again. And so Joseph, uh, excuse me, just to, to give you a little uh, preface to this, remember that Jacob, at this point, he's as blind as a bat. Like he can't see his hand out in front of him. Um, so Joseph is doing him a favor. He, he lines the boys up appropriately. So a, as he walks them towards him, as, as Joseph walks the boys towards Jacob, all Jacob has to do is stick out his hands and talk. That's all he has to do. Like he, he can't go, like it's hard to mess that up. But, well, we'll see here that, that Jacob crosses his hands. And, and what's interesting here is that um, as Jacob walks the boys up, he's putting um, Manasseh so that, that Jacob's right hand will land upon him. Now, there's something, something that's significant with the right hand. The right hand, significance, the right hand signifies power. And so the power of the blessing will go through the right hand. Um, so that's interesting. So that's why, why, why Joseph had these boys lined up this right way. Um, and Joseph's trying to make sure that the right son gets the proper blessing according to his age. Joseph has been training and teaching Manasseh how to lead since he was a little boy. <clears throat> he was leading him in family devotionals. He taught him how to treat women. He taught him how to work hard. He taught him uh, a Christian worldview. And, and now Joseph's like, Manasseh, it's your time to shine. Get after it. Joseph feels as, as if Manasseh is the one who's, who's to lead Israel. And so, as we read, they get to Jacob. Jacob sticks out his hands and he crosses them. And it's interesting here that, um, well, imagine this. Okay, so the stage is set perfectly. Like I said, all Jacob has to do is stick his hands out and start talking. But he didn't. He crosses his hands. Now, some of us can kind of relate to this. Like, if we think about how how Joseph has invested so much time in preparing Manasseh um, to take over the the country, um, it's it's like when you spend hours, maybe even days, preparing for a party at your house. You've cleaned the living room up. You've shampooed the carpets. You've dusted the mantle. You've even cleaned between the, the, the cracks of the couch. And you've set up chairs in the living room. So as people walk in, they see, like, this is where we're going to hang out. And so your, your guests come over, take their shoes off. They walk through the living room. And where do they spend the night hanging out? In the kitchen. 
You spend all that time cleaning up. You got all that time preparing and everyone's hanging out in the kitchen. It doesn't make sense. Why would you sit on a countertop when you could sit on a comfy couch? Manessa, he was groomed for leadership and he gets passed over. Like your living room that was groomed for the party gets passed over for the kitchen. And it seems as if Jacob has missed all the cues. Or did he? He didn't. Remember Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Jacob blessed these boys. It was by faith that Jacob crossed his hands. And so it's time to ask ourselves why. Why did Manasseh miss out on the greater blessing? Why did he get passed up? It's because God decided it would be that way. Romans 9 says that God has mercy on who he has mercy. There's no laws that bind God to his election. God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chooses the younger, less qualified brother over the more qualified, groomed up Manasseh. And honestly, this doesn't make sense to me. And you're probably saying the same thing. This just doesn't make sense to me. Why would he do this? But as Isaiah 55 assures us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. God says that my ways are better. God says my ways are better. And if God says that, then let it be so. So we see here, we're about to see Joseph's reaction to this hand crossing thing here in verse 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused, said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. Joseph isn't pleased with this. He doesn't like it. He feels as if all his hard work preparing Manasseh has gone down the drain. And and like most of us, we don't really understand what's going on here. Joseph goes ahead and tries to correct his dad, tries to correct Jacob. He slaps his hand off his voice. No, no, no. You You got your hands mixed up, old man. He says, put your hands this way, you know, because Manasseh is the older brother. Put your hands on him. But Jacob assures him. He says, no, no, I had it right. I know what I'm doing. And it's, it's this moment that, that under the Holy Spirit's guidance that Jacob knew exactly what he was doing. And Jacob says to him that, that they will be both a great nation, but the younger brother shall be greater than the older. And through the book of Genesis, that we, we've seen this happen time and time again. We've seen unlikely candidates get the greater blessing. Abel's sacrifice was accepting to God, not his older brother Cain's. Abraham, when he got called by God, was a moon-worshipping pagan. Isaac got the blessing, not his older brother Ishmael. Jacob, the trickster, got his blessing, not the more masculine brother Esau. Joseph has been promoted to the firstborn standing, and he gets a double blessing from his father, not his older brothers. 
And now Ephraim is getting the greater blessing over his brother Manasseh. Now we've seen who's getting blessed. Now let's, let's take a look at the most important part, the blessing. Let's go back to verse 15 here. Backtrack just a little bit. <clears throat> verse 15. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on. And the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. Jacob is again recalling his past. But this time it's not to reminisce on the good times and the bad times. No, it's to root his sons, to root these young men in the blessing, in this rich blessing that's rooted in family history. He's saying, boys, listen, your grandpas, they walked with God. These men, your grandpas, they were foundational in the faith that you now have. These were the men who walked with God and they were used mightily by God. And he says to them, he's telling his boys, Jacob's telling his boys, what I'm telling you, this isn't something new and made up. I'm not, I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not giving you a story to bite in on. This is real. This is rooted in history. God himself came down and walked with us. And he goes on, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Jacob is saying, the God that walked with me and my fathers. He's not a distant God. He's not a God far off in the distance. He's, he didn't wind up earth and walk away. He was here protecting me. He was here watching over me. He was here shepherding me all the days of my life. And then he goes on and he says, the angel who has redeemed me from all, all evil. Now, this sentence right here may be why this scenario lands Jacob in the hall of, hall of faith. Do you remember, think back a ways, do you remember that night when Jacob wrestled with Jesus? You remember when he wrestled with that angel? That was, that was Jesus. And, and, and this is called a Christophany. It's uh, where pre-incarnate Jesus shows up. He shows up before he was born 2,000 years from now ago. He shows up before he was born and makes an appearance. He does something great. And John 1 says, or excuse me, John, yep, John 1, John chapter 1 says that he was in the beginning. Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And some of us need to be dazzled by that. Some of us need to remember that Jesus wasn't God's backup plan. Jesus wasn't plan B. Jesus wasn't God's last resort to deal with our sin. God wasn't expecting us to turn a corner and become better people all, all on our own. From the beginning... Before the world was created, Jesus was there. And as Jesus was there forming and molding the heart of man, he knew that that heart would someday rebel against him. And he knew in order to make that heart right that he would have to go to a cross and die 
to make that right. Look, in this itself, the fact that Jesus didn't stop making us, that he continued creating and molding and shaping our hearts, this shows us how great his love is for us. He, he didn't scratch it. He didn't, he, he didn't think, oh, this is all going to go to heck and scratch it. He continued making us. So in faith, Jacob knew that Jesus would someday redeem him from his sin. That Jesus had redeemed him of his sin. Not only his sin, but the sin of all of those who put their faith in Jesus. And so Jacob continues with his blessing. He says, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Jacob is asking God to bless the boys the same way that God has blessed him. He's, he's not just saying, I, I want my family name to carry on. He's saying, I want the name of God to carry on. I want, I want people to know what God has done for us, what God has done for our family. I want to see that continue on. And he says, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Jacob isn't blessing them so they can keep this God stuff all hush-hush and bundled up to themselves. He's blessing them so that these boys can take the good news, they can take the news of the redeeming work of Jesus and go all across the world with it. Jump to verse 20. He says, so, so he blessed them that day, saying, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Jacob is saying, boys, the whole nation of Israel is looking up to you. Everyone's going to want to be like you. They want to be blessed as you have been blessed. They want to be great as you have been made great. And so he says, your names will be a synonym for success. Michael Jordan is arguably the best basketball player to ever walk the earth. He is a six-time NBA champion, five-year MVP, ten-time All-NBA first team, six-time NBA finals MVP. He participated uh, in NBA All-Star games 11 times. He holds a couple of dozen scoring records and other accomplishments that attest to his greatness that still haven't been beat yet today. And... um, if you remember, everyone wanted to be like Mike. There was a, a Gatorade campaign that came out in, in the early 90s and had a pretty cool jingle that went with it, like, everyone wants to be like Mike. We want to be like Mike. So, Michael Jordan was great. And you can see how people aspired, they wanted to aspire to their greatness. The same is true of Ephraim and Manasseh. People, the people of Israel want to aspire to the greatness. They want to, to be excellent like they are excellent. Okay, and so we've kind of, we've gone through the story. And now it's time to make sense of all this. Like it all makes for a pretty good story. But it's time to make sense of this. Now, let's just recap here. First of all, Jacob, in giving his, his parting words, has rooted the boys in their rich history of faith. In verse 15, Jacob is telling them that their granddads have been walking with God for hundreds of years now. And now it's time for them to walk with God. 
And then Jacob goes on and tells them his, his life story and what God has done for him from his personal perspective. God, he says, God has been watching over me. He's been shepherding me. He's been guiding my paths. And then, and then what Jacob, Jacob does here is he casts a vision for these boys. He says, you are great. Now go be great. He says, God has made you great. Now be great. He says, people are looking up to you now. Live as, if peop- live as if you want to be someone that people want to recreate. Be someone that other people want to be. And we see this happen here and now. Like, this isn't, this isn't something that's been lost. Like, if you tell a kid he's good at science, like, whether he's good or not, he's going he's gonna to take that to heart. He's going to think, wow, yeah, I'm good at this. I, I want to invest in this. I want to I want to get better at this. I want to be great. And and this has happened for me personally. My parents um are pretty musical people. And they actually met um in choir at college um because my mom was late and the only seat that was open was a seat next to my dad. Pretty romantic. But <clears throat> but growing up, I myself started taking an interest in music and my parents helped me along with that. Um and whether I, I sang or I played at church or school or people would come up afterwards and tell me, even if it wasn't really good, they would tell me, Sam, you're such a good musician. You did such a great job. And so I took that to heart. I, I took that affirmation to heart. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I can be great. Like, and, and so I, I started investing time in it. I started practicing. Uh, uh, I went from practicing 15 minutes a day to, to 30 minutes a day. And then when I got into college, I went from practicing 30 minutes a day to, to three or four hours a day. So as people told me, hey, Sam, you're, you're a pretty good musician. I wanted to grow into that. And the same thing has happened actually in, in our MC this week. Um, Jack Lyons has made some awesome chocolate chip banana bread a few weeks ago. It was great. It was so good. But... <laughs> But as, as people said, hey, Jack, that is good bread. You're such a good baker. Something happened in Jack where he took that affirmation and he took it to heart. Because for the last three weeks, we've had chocolate chip banana bread. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. That's great. The same thing is happening here with the boys. As Jacob says, that they'll be great. Jacob is, is giving them something to aim their lives at. Aim yourself at greatness. You have been made great, so be great. Okay. And so now we see that this is important. Hebrews tells us that this, this time, this moment in time is important. And before Jacob, uh, before dying, Jacob adopts these boys and blesses them. And it all makes for a pretty interesting story, it, kind of a confusing story. But you're probably wondering, Sam, what's this have to do with me right now? What, what could this possibly have to do with me? I, I'm not adopted. I, nobody's laid hands on me on their deathbed, really. But this story, let me tell you what, this story points to a greater story. Like Jacob did with his, his grandsons, God adopts undeserving people undeserving sons and daughters into his family through Christ. God chooses the most unlikely people to adopt. 
It isn't the people who, who've got their acts together. It's, it's not the people who've, who've got a bunch of uh, letters behind their names all the time because of that one thing. It's not the people who, who have this appearance of being good people. God chooses men and women who can only accredit their adoption to grace. Sam Storm says that God doesn't choose men because he foresees excellence in them. He makes them excellent because he has chosen them. Let me read that again. God doesn't choose men because he foresees excellence in them. He makes them excellent because he has chosen them. Our excellence, or our excellence, our goodness, isn't what gets us into God's family. It is by grace we are adopted into God's family. And unlike this adoption that we see with Jacob here, the cost for God adopting us is high. Any of you who have looked into adoption, you know that adoption is not cheap. It's really expensive. And we see this price that God paid to adopt us. He sent his only son, Jesus, to come and redeem us from our sin. Now, to redeem means to obtain or to set free by paying a price. And the price that God had to pay was the life of his only son, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth. He was beaten. He was humiliated. He was unjustly tried in court. And he was murdered so that your sin could be paid for in full. So that you could inherit the status of sons and daughters of the Most High God. When God adopts us as his children, he treats us like his children. He doesn't, he doesn't give us the third degree by saying, oh, you made me give up my son Jesus. No, uh-uh. God treats us like we're his sons and daughters. God lavishes his love upon us. He lets us know that we are loved and we're accepted. He, he pulls us in and, and he sits us up on his lap. He gives us a big hug and a kiss. He gives us good gifts. And like any good parent, he disciplines us so we can grow and mature. But look at this. God, God includes us in his inheritance. He says we have been made co-heirs with Christ. That we have gotten some riches from Christ. That because of what Christ has done, that we are part of his inheritance. But, the, but most importantly, what God does when he adopts us into his family is he gives us access to himself. We no longer have to approach God as if he's some big mean man up in the sky. Galatians 4, 6 says that we now have the spirit of God within us and a spirit that allows us to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what our heart cries. By this adoption, our, our hearts cry out for our true daddy. For some of us, for some of you, this might be hard to believe. It might be kind of scary. If you had a crummy dad that didn't show you his love, didn't show you acceptance, um, then this could be 
this could just play into that fear. I don't, you could, I don't want another dad that, that's going to make me feel like that. But I want to assure you that God, God is nothing like your crummy father. God will never leave you or forsake you. God is shepherding you and guiding you. He's protecting you from evil. He loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you can do to lose this love. He's not mad. God is not mad or displeased with your failures. Because when he looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. He's not like your crummy dad. In every way, God is the perfect father. Now, others of you might be thinking, I had a good dad. I don't, why do I need another dad? My dad was good to me. He, he did great things by me. If this is you, like, let me tell you, you are doubly blessed. You, you can go thank your dad for being such a, a, great, a great man of faith, being a great man who led you and loved you and cared for you. And your earthly father, what he's done, he's resembled the heavenly father. But I want to assure you that God is a better father. Your earthly father is limited in his ability to know to be with you always. God is not. God is with you wherever you go. Your dad can't know exactly what you need at all times. God does. Your dad, your dad can get, you know, can say, I'm proud of you. Way to go. But it's only God who, because of Christ, can give you an eternal attaboy. Only God can give you the eternal approval. Now, some of you have been running away from God. And there was a time when, uh, when you were close to God and you felt his love, but you've been drifting away from it. You want to go back to him, but you're scared that he's going to be upset with you and punish you for all the bad things you've done. Let me, let me quickly remind you of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, a son that went off the deep end. You know, any bad thing, he did it. He did it all. He was down at the nightclubs. He's probably, you know, doing drugs, drinking a bunch, sleeping with women that weren't his wife. And he came to the end of himself and he said, I I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I got to go home. And so as he's on his way home to confess his failures, to confess all the things that he's, he's done wrong, he's greeted by his father who's running out to him. His father's got tears running down his face. He's... Tears of joy. And all his father, before, before the, the son can say anything, before the son can say, oh, take me back, the father says, oh, I'm so glad you're home. I'm so glad you've come back. And so the father puts a nice robe on his boy, puts rings around his fa- finger, and he starts planning a huge welcome home party. Look, if this is a good earthly father... Just imagine how much greater the party will be in heaven uh, when your heavenly father sees you coming back to him. Think of that love that's being poured out on you. You did nothing to earn this love. It's been freely given to you. You can't do anything to take it away. It's steadfast and it's permanent. And it's by grace that you are God's child. Now, others of you are like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. You're convinced that your hard work has earned you this love. 
You, you're, you're convinced that, that your allegiance to your father is what, what's gotten you his approval. I want you to know that God's love was there for you before you were even created. Before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, you were loved by God. In fact, nothing you do or say can increase God's love for you. God loves you to the max already. You can't earn it. Let me remind you, and I say remind you because you're, you're probably a good Christian. You've got this um, embroidered on a bookmark from your Bible or something. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not by your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of your own works. God loves you because he chose to love you. Not because you were good enough. Look, this is scandalous. This, is, this doesn't make sense to us. God not only loves people in spite of the bad things that they've done, but God loves people in spite of the good things that they've done. God, lo- God loves people unconditionally. And this love that we get, it's all by grace. And he adopts us into his family and says, I have big plans for you. He casts a vision for us. He says, I've made you great, so be great. You are loved, so go love others. He says, I've, I've sent my son to show you the way, to show you the truth. And I'm sending you to do the same. I'm, I'm sending you to show people to my son. Look, listen to how this, this blessing ends in verse 4. I will make you a company of peoples. The NIV says uh, a community of peoples. And you'll have a, a home for eternity. Like, do you see what's being said here? God is making churches that gather across the world. God is adopting people into his family all across the world. Sacred city, look at what we're a part of. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done to bring us into his family. We're not just a community of people united by a genealogy or a geographical location or a national identity. We're people who have been adopted into God's family who are united by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look, I, I want to close here real fast. Um, as I wrap up this morning, I, w- I want to leave you with, with two things. I want to leave you with an invitation. I want to leave you with a charge. My first invitation goes to those of you who don't yet know God as your Heavenly Father. I want you to know how much God loves you. I want to know, I want you to know what He's done in order to show you this love. I want you to know that the things that you've done in your life, the bad things you've done in your life, don't disqualify you from becoming a loved child of God. I want you to know that you are accepted and loved by God because of what Jesus has done for you. And it's by grace alone. By grace alone. My invitation is is the same for those of you who have been drifting away. Look, you need to turn from the things that are keeping you from experiencing God's love. You need to turn away from those things and turn towards the love of the Father. 
for those of you who can relate to the younger brother from the story of the prodigal son, and to those of you who can relate to the, to the older brother in that story, turn, turn and see your heavenly father running toward you. He's running at you with tears of rejoicing. He's waiting to put a royal robe on you. He's, he's waiting to put rings around your finger. He's waiting to throw a, a party for your repentance. He's waiting to wrap you up in his arms. He's waiting to hold you tight and let you know that you are loved and you are accepted. Turn from what is keeping you from experiencing God's love. Turn from the things that are preventing you from acting like a son or daughter of God. And my invitation goes to those of you who are, who are being faithful. For those of you who are, who are doing well. Continue to bask in the love and the radiance of the love of the Father. Continue to be in that place. Know that it is by grace alone that you've gotten there. Continue to look at Jesus. Continue to look at Jesus and see what he's done for you. Let that move you. Let that, let that rattle your soul. Be moved. Be moved in worship. Lift your voice in song. Lift your hands in praise. Let this move you. So that's my invitation. Here's my charge. My charge goes to those of you who know God as your father. To those of you who are part of the church. God has adopted you. God has brought you into his family. But he's also given you a great purpose. He's called you in and he says, hey, guys, listen, I've made you great. Now go be great. Go be great. And in being great, model to others what your father, what your heavenly father is like. Show them my love. Teach them about my love. And it's not just talk about it. He doesn't just just want, want us to talk about what God has done for us. He does want us to talk about it. But he wants us to live like it. He wants, to, wants us to live like something's completely different. Like we've had this radical transformation. He wants us to, to live differently, open up our homes to strangers. He wants us to make sacrifices that don't really make sense to the world. He wants us to be involved with people in the local church. He wants us to make disciples who make disciples. But before you do any of these things, you have to remember that you are doing them not to get approval, not to earn the love of God, but you're doing those things out of the love the Father has shown you. By grace, by grace alone, God gives us his love. In Christ, we are accepted and approved of. We are brought in as part of the family. And as we are brought in as part of the family, we're given a deep and meaningful purpose as children of God. God sends us back out into the world. He says, go, go and add to my family. Go tell people how loving I am. So it's in Christ that we find our love. It's in Christ that we find how much the Father loves us. It's in Christ that we find our purpose to go out and show this love to the world. Heavenly Father, we 
We thank you for your son, Jesus, and what he's done to show us your love. We thank you, God, that that you are not a God who's distant and far off, a God that we have to try to get your attention, but you are a God who is right here in our presence. Father God, you are the perfect dad. I pray that, pray that today in faith that you would help people understand your love, that you would give us a greater understanding, a greater pleasure, a greater joy in the Father's love for us. And I pray that as we come to this table this morning, that we would see this as a feast, a celebration feast. This is a feast that reminds us of what God has done to bring us into the family. And as we come to the table and take and eat of, of, of the body and the blood of Christ, that we are reminded of your great love for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.